Well, good afternoon and welcome to Power for the People here on WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor and everywhere else on the internet in our solar system at WERU.org. I'm your host, Steve Call, And just a reminder, we are here listening to WERU, uh, which is solar powered because we have a power purchase agreement uh, which uh, runs the, uh, the radio station in its entirety these days, I'm very pleased to say. So uh, the goal of Power for the People is to help Mainers understand their energy future. Uh, and it does seem like the energy future is getting more, both more expensive and more complicated these days. And so we do uh, talk about uh, specific issues, uh, which we will touch on here today, uh, with the goal for helping you reduce your energy cost. And we also uh, cover various policies and options and solutions uh, so that you can help, you can understand the big picture. And again, uh, the word solution is kind of key here because our guests today are Michael Stoddard, who is the Executive Director of Efficiency Maine and has been on the show a couple of times before, and Rick Meinking, who is a Senior Program Manager at Efficiency Maine. Uh, and the goal here is to, uh, to provide everybody with uh, information about what Efficiency Maine is and does for, for the state of Maine. And so, uh, Michael, maybe just give us, a, uh, again, you're the Executive Director of Efficiency Maine. Give us a little bit uh, of more information about yourself, and then Rick will come to you and ask you for a little bit more information than what I provided here. Uh, thanks, Steve. Um, my name is Michael Stoddard. I'm the Executive Director, uh, an attorney by training, but don't hold that against me. Uh, I grew up in Brunswick and now live in Portland, Maine, and have been the executive director of Efficiency Maine since 2010. And uh, Efficiency Maine is the statewide administrator for all of the energy efficiency programs in Maine. And we get funding from the electric utilities and the natural gas utilities to pay for most of that. We also have been fortunate to get some federal grants to help pay for that. And we are the recipients of the REGI uh, revenues, which is the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. And so the revenues that come to Maine are funneled to our organization, and we use them to provide financial incentives for Maine consumers who are buying equipment that uses energy. And we try through our programs to help persuade people to buy the most efficient models and the ones that use the cleanest energy. And by doing that, we help the main economy because it saves people money to have more efficient equipment and it's better for the environment to have cleaner and more efficient equipment. So that's those are the programs we run. Rick, tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, Rick Meinking, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to uh, be involved with uh, Efficiency Maine now for, uh, well, ever since it became Efficiency Maine Trust. Um, I've been one of Michael's soldiers out there in the field trying to uh, deliver solutions to uh, business and uh, uh, commercial entities. Um, my background is um, formal training was through the United States Navy, uh, spent many years in the, in the Navy as an electrical engineer aboard ships, and then found myself in the civilian world being a facility manager of commercial buildings. So I have a flair for what goes on inside commercial buildings. And uh, I take a personal satisfaction in trying to uh, get buildings to perform um, 
with less energy, more, more efficiently, and uh, at the same time, improving their uh, footprint within uh, all the commercial uh, stock that's in Maine. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have one of the best jobs uh, that I've ever had and that I think is around there. So um, I'm happy to uh, be part of the, the team at Efficiency Maine. Well, I can certainly echo the desire to reduce energy costs. And I've uh, been a little bit of a nut myself in my own life in terms of how I deal with that. Um, and uh, we're going to come back to homeowner incentives at the end of the program, but I want to kind of whet people's uh, uh, appetite a little bit uh, by just saying, as, as listeners of this program uh, are aware, I'm a bit of a, of a, of a model for Efficiency Maine. Uh, I've got a 100% electrically uh, run house because I don't believe in fossil fuels. I've got two air source heat pumps, uh, an air source hot water heater. Uh, a, uh, and I actually just was thinking about this. But I hadn't intended to say it, but I've realized I bought a refrigerator with a small efficiency main rebate a few years ago. And my, I put a meter on my old refrigerator and it was using like $250 of electricity a year. And the new one, which only cost about 500 bucks, it uses... 45 bucks a year. Uh, and so uh, I'm saving $200 on the refrigerator itself. Um, and uh, I certainly have also uh, um, put insulation in a couple of different uh, lifts, if you will, here in this house. Uh, and actually, when I bought the house, um, I went out to Home Depot and was uh, thrilled to see the efficiency made rebate applied to LED bulbs. And I bought 40 LEDs and installed them all and have been running them ever since. Um, we'll probably come to this in a minute, but I just noticed on your website a few minutes ago, uh, it, it look, there's really good resources there that talk about the cost of heating. And uh, you guys list uh, $1,800 a year for an air source heat pump annual cost. Um, and I just want to say, I think that is way more than it really is. I mean, my house, I've got two air source heat pumps. It's 100% of my heat and my electric bill is only a thousand bucks a year. I mean, my guess is my heat pumps cost me maybe three or four hundred dollars a year mo at most. So I'll just uh, I'll just throw that, that comment out at you because I just noticed it like ten minutes ago on your website. Any any, any quick reaction to that? Yeah, two things quickly, Steve. One is that that calculator tool that you referenced that's on our website, which is by the way one of the most popular pages on our website. People seem to really find it useful to compare what it would cost to heat their home across different types of technologies and different types of fuels. So I strongly encourage people to go check that out like you did. The line that you looked at for heat pumps is what it would cost to heat a typical main home with only heat pumps. So the whole building would be heat pumps. It's not the cost. So a lot of people think of a heat pump as that that one little thing you see, um, what we would refer to as a mini split with a single head. And people, a lot of people use those to, for, for space heating in one room, maybe a sunroom or maybe the kitchen, but not the whole house. What you've done is you've, you've positioned two of them so that you can do your whole house. For a lot of people, it would take typically more like three heat pumps to heat their whole house if they were using those mini splits. Of course, there are other configurations where there's a centrally ducted system. There are all kinds of configurations, but we posted on that website what it would cost for a typical main home to heat the whole home. So it's probably more than one heat pump. The second point is it sounds like your home maybe isn't typical, 
because it sounds like you've done a lot of work to it and made sure it's really snug and airtight and well insulated. So my guess is your home you, needs a little bit less heat than the typical main home. So that might explain why your numbers would be lower. But in any case, that's great news that you, your experience has been that it's even less expensive than what that calculator would suggest. And we love to hear that story. Well, and uh, I mean, you make a couple of good points there. Uh, my house is smaller. I mean, it's 1,200 square feet. And so that's certainly part of the equation um, uh, relative to, I mean, it's a 1948 house uh, and I've insulated the seal, the, sorry, the attic and I've insulated the basement, but uh, doing the walls, as you all know, is a, a significant challenge. So it's not that tight, uh, but it's, uh, again, I, you know, I've reduced the stack effect considerably with uh, insulation top and bottom. And so that is part of the equation. So good points there. Uh, I do have one other question uh, that uh, since we're talking heat pumps here, uh, this is something that just came to me from a neighbor literally this week. So there is a there's a dealer listed on your website who sells heat pumps, who told me when I went to him, I did not get installed from by him who went when I went to them several years ago to he literally said, our advice to people is to turn your heat pump off in November and don't start it up again until April. Uh, and uh, I, I gave him some pushback on that and didn't give it another thought. Well, darned if he didn't tell my neighbor last week exactly the same thing. Well, I mean, is that even allowable in a certified dealer on the efficiency main website to say things like that? Well, uh, it's it's disappointing for sure to hear that that people are marketing heat pumps and still clinging to that message that is now more than a decade old and completely out of date and completely wrong, just completely wrong. So it's unfortunate. Um, That I guess is why we have the free market and we have competition and we, we encourage people like yourselves to shop around and get multiple quotes from people. Uh, One of the things I would recommend for your listeners, if they are thinking about heat pumps is to, Go to another page on our website, and by the way, our website is uh, efficiencymain.com, and I want to just interject that we are a quasi-state agency, so we we don't make any money off of this. We're not a for-profit organization. We're not a company that's selling anything. We're just a facilitator of these programs and these public dollars, which are designed to promote these new types of high-efficiency, low-pollution equipment, so We don't have any uh, dog in the fight other than trying to help the public. Uh, But if your listeners are thinking about heat pumps and they're interested, they should go to this website um, that we have on our, uh, this page on our website called, uh, I think it's called find a vendor or locate a vendor. And what you do is you put in your zip code and you indicate the kind of service you're interested in. And in your case, you would be uh, you would click on the icon for heat pump because that's the service you were interested in. And then you can indicate a, a radius. How far do you want to search from your zip code for heat pump installers? And if you leave it in the default setting, it's going to spit out a list for you of all the heat pump installers in Maine who have signed up with us that are within the radius that you picked. It will list them in the order of who has done 
the most projects. Now, why does that matter? That matters because in the last three years alone, more than 60,000 heat pumps have been installed in Maine, the most in the country per capita. That's a lot of installations. That's a lot of case studies. And the installers are now doing thousands and thousands of these. Nobody that is going to appear at the top of that list is going to have the advice that you experience. None of them is going to say to the customer, you know what you should do is turn this thing off for the winter. No one's going to say that because they know that what is best about this product is that it will heat your home very inexpensively. So why would they want their customer to be dissatisfied and unhappy by spending a bunch of money on a great piece of equipment and then shutting it off for a third of the year? That would be crazy. So the smart thing to do is if you're going to spend the money to invest in new equipment, use it. Use it every day. Use it all winter long. Uh, the, the, the model of the heat pump that Efficiency Maine provides rebates for is extremely high efficiency and is specially designed to perform in the winter, in Maine, all winter long. If you bought a heat pump that was designed to provide air conditioning in Florida, I can't promise you that it would do as well. Maybe you should turn that one off for the winter, but not the ones that we're promoting. Right. And mm -hmm. that's what's changed in the last decade. So unfortunately, I think that the vendor you were speaking to has other services that they would prefer to provide their customers. And I don't think heat pumps is one that they're very serious about because anyone who is encouraging you to spend a few thousand dollars is going to want you to get your money back. And the only way to get your money back is by running it all winter long so you can displace the other kinds of heating fuels you would have to pay for otherwise. Right. And that's only going to work if the thing is on and running. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And the reason it came up is this person knows that I teach energy things in my courses at Thomas College. And so he, he gave me a call and he was all ready to sign up with this vendor. Uh, and and uh, I'm quite sure I dissuaded him for all the reasons you just said. And I will just mention here, again, this is something that people ask me about regularly. I mean, we had a spell last winter where the temperature went down to 10 or 15 below for several nights in a row, and I was fine. You know, cold climate heat pumps do the job. They're rated to minus 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. And they'll even work below that, but that they will efficiently produce heat to minus 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Certainly anyone that's living along the coast almost never experiences temperatures below that. And these, the most, the part of the state where heat pumps have been the most popular on a per capita basis is Aroostook County. I don't think it's very tropical up there. Yeah, I, I am, I'm interested to see that. Uh, it, uh, it, it makes me smile, and, and it's interesting that, uh, that it has worked out that way. But again, that's, they are a lot colder than everybody else, and, uh, and they work up there. All we, right. I'll tell you, Steve, one other thing. We call all of the customers that get a heat pump, and we do a survey to find out what their customer satisfaction level is. And the average is 9 out of 10, highly satisfied. If after putting in these, we're not, I said that in the last three years, Mainers have installed 60,000 heat pumps. If you go back to when we started the program, we're up over 100,000 heat pumps have been installed in, in homes across the state. Um, 
if if they were dissatisfied because if these heat pumps were not working in the cold weather, those customers would not report being satisfied. They would be dissatisfied. And instead, they're saying, no, 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 I love it. Nine out of ten. Uh, that that's how high my on a scale of zero to ten, I give this a nine uh, or a ten. And so, you know, the, the average is nine. Uh, that tells you that these things are working and they're working in the cold, and that's because uh, people are using them all winter long and they know that they work. Right, and and uh, we're kind of covering things that I wanted to do at the end of the program, but it's this is a good topic. I will just mention that uh, my house, the previous owner. Uh, before I took out the uh, the oil boiler, the previous owner burned a thousand gallons of oil a year. So their their heating bill last winter would have been on the order of five thousand dollars. My total electric bill was a thousand dollars. So uh, I mean, this this stuff works, no question about it. That is that music to your ears, Rick? It is to mine. Okay, right. I just knew your interest in uh, in, in building energy. So uh, let's come back to, uh, to the big picture for. Uh, picking up on your term there, uh, Michael, that you're a quasi-state agency, uh, and you mentioned Reggie in passing. Uh, so one of the other of you, uh, Rick, if you want, give us the 10,000-foot the view on what Reggie is. Oh, you're going to be stuck with me for that answer, okay. I'm afraid. I, I got signed up for all the policy-related questions. Okay. So uh, – Reggie is the acronym for the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, and it's a it's a program that is um, running in all the states of the Northeast, basically from Maryland to Maine. So originally there were 10 states that participated and they all collectively got together and said, let's try to reduce the pollution that's coming from our power plants. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to put a cap, a regulatory cap on the maximum amount of carbon dioxide that can that will allow to be emitted from all of the power plants in all of our states combined. And then every year we're going to shrink it down a little bit, two and a half percent per year. We're going to shrink, 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 shrink over many years. And we will require the power plants to buy carbon allowances through an auction process and when they for every ton of carbon dioxide that they emit they're going to have to hold in their little bank account one carbon dioxide allowance and they have to buy them at this auction so the power plants that are dirtier and have more co2 pollution mostly coal plants and oil plants, they're going to have to buy a lot more of these allowances, which is going to make it more expensive for them to operate. Whereas the kinds of power plants that are much cleaner or have zero emissions, they will not have to buy very many, if any, of these allowances. And so their electricity will become relatively less expensive. And so over time, the theory is the competitive free market will work its magic and the clean power will grow and grow and grow and the dirty power will shrink and eventually go away. The good thing for us is that we get the money that comes when they buy these credits, they buy these uh, allowances at the, at an auction in New York City every quarter. The money comes to Efficiency Maine and the Maine legislature said, hey, Efficiency Maine, when you get the money, what we want you to do is spend it on people to help them 
lower their heating bills and for businesses and uh, and institutions like schools and uh, universities and hospitals, we want them to all have access to uh, more financial incentives to reduce their carbon pollution. Most of them are doing that by investing in energy efficiency measures. Uh, but a lot of them now are specifically trying to get off of oil and propane, which is expensive and has higher carbon, and switch to something cleaner. So we use the money to help subsidize those projects. What portion of the efficiency main budget uh, it comes from Reggie Revenues? Um, it varies from year to year because the auctions come up, you know, they, they, they result in different revenues. It's been about $10 million a year for the last five years, uh, but it's been climbing recently, so it, it will be more than that this year. But it's usually uh, in the neighborhood of one-sixth to one-eighth of our total budget. Okay. And my understanding is that uh, most, if not all, of the 11 states also have an efficiency main type, an efficiency program. You know, That's I know right. That- all of them have something like this. Um, Not all of them have necessarily chosen to invest every penny of it in energy efficiency, but Maine thought that was the smart investment. And so that's what we're doing. Right. And and basically, this is a cap and trade program. I mean, there's nothing really unusual about the theory behind doing it. Uh, And if one particular emitter has uh, has bought more carbon credits than they need, they can actually sell them to somebody else, which is yet another incentive for people to become more efficient. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's part of what happened in the acid rain game, for example, uh, right. and, uh, and it, it works uh, extremely well. It's, it's a market-based approach to getting these things done. So, and, and what about, I don't actually know the answer to this question. Do you guys also get uh, any kind of state allocation from the legislature for your budget? Almost never. Um, there are some very small exceptions to that, but almost the entirety of the funding comes through the electric utilities and the natural gas utilities and the reggie that we were just talking about and then grants that we might get from the federal government Um, the other occasional funding that we receive is when some somebody reaches a, a lawsuit settlement uh, so a couple of years ago, you may recall Volkswagen broke the law and they uh, they got sued by the federal government and by the state of Maine and they settled those lawsuits and their part of their penalty was that they paid money. And when it was discussed what to do with the money, it was decided that in some of those cases they would send the money to Efficiency Maine and we would use it to help fund some of our programs. Um, similarly, Sometimes the Public Utilities Commission settles a case there, and sometimes there's money involved. And so our revenue sometimes come from that. This year is uh, uh, the first time that I can remember when there was some uh, general fund money from the state of Maine appropriated for Efficiency Maine. Um, it was from some of this budget surplus that you may recall reading about that we had last year. So a little bit of money to help invest in factories and manufacturers in Maine to increase their energy efficiency and a little bit of money to extend our program providing rebates for electric vehicles. Mm, okay. And you're, uh, you're obviously seeing my notes somehow because asking about the Volkswagen settlement was the next thing on my list. Is that money uh, now gone or is that still providing funding incentives for electric vehicles? 
it's still going. Um, I think it would have been gone by now, except for the crazy situation in the economy right now with the interruption to production of cars. Um, there's a there's a you've heard this term, the supply chain interruptions. Mm -hmm. So there just are not very many cars being made and people have to order them ahead of time and then they have to wait for the car to be delivered. So um, that has resulted in the whole program for EVs slowing down, um, and that's been discouraging. On the other hand, it means we still have some of the money, so we're going to be able to stretch it out longer, and I, I'm pretty confident it'll last us through next summer. Right, and uh, just so everybody knows, if you're interested in, in a detailed program that we had exclusively on EVs, uh, what was that? Um, I don't know, four or five months ago, you were on with Tim Sample. And so anybody can find that on the archives at uh, archives.weru.org. And I appreciate the shout out to that show and that, uh, and that episode because we learned just today that the videos, the educational videos about how to charge up an EV and where you can find EV chargers and uh, you know how you pay for charging with an EV, all those educational videos that we made with Tim Sample being the actor won an award today, a national award. So um, we're, we're feeling very proud of ourselves today uh, for that good work. And uh, Tim was uh, essential in making that successful. All right. Well, congratulations on that. And so uh, again, a bit of another uh, segue here. So another uh, piece of the, your uh, financial budget is uh, some money from the American Recovery Plan. And that's related to the announcement that came out of the, the governor's office uh, literally just a week or two ago, which actually was what spurred me to give you a call to see about getting you on the program this time. Uh, and uh, there's a number of components to that, one of which the and, and there's actually four. Um, and let's let's uh, just kind of click down through those and, and give a little bit of a, of, a, of a shout out in terms of. I mean, so, so the first one is public buildings and schools. And so let's uh, let's describe what that's all about and also how a town manager or a superintendent might be able to tap into that. So again, American recovery plan money, which was uh, COVID related, I guess, if I remember correctly. Um, and, uh, and again, the, the things that it's allowed you guys to do. So starting with public buildings and schools, the announcement that came out of the governor's office recently. Uh, I'm going to kick this one over to Rick because these are Rick's programs. At least the first two initiatives are right in his wheelhouse. So Rick, why don't you uh, give a little introduction to those? Sure. Um, thanks. Yeah, we're fortunate enough to uh, have received those funds, and uh, we want to we want to get it out there primarily to uh, you know change out heating and cooling systems. Uh, this is the big aspect that we're we're going after as 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 we move forward with the the world of heat pumps. And recently, as, as you mentioned, uh, the governor made an announcement that uh, some of the funding was going to uh, specifically uh, schools. And, and what we're trying to do there is get the schools um, that are on oil and propane to jump onto the, uh, the heat pump uh, systems. And, and what's unique about the heat pump systems is, is they come in many flavors uh, and many sizes. 
And this, there's this term, maybe you've heard of it, uh, Steve, uh, variable refrigerant flow systems. Uh, these are essentially heat pump technology, uh, but it's really meant for buildings with lots of rooms um, or different uh, heat loads that happen uh, during the day. Part of the building could be um, hot uh, with the sun gain and others are cool because there's no sun coming in the windows. What's really nifty about the VRF systems is they can actually do heating and cooling at the same time, which unlike a typical single zone uh, heat pump that you see in homes, they're either gonna be in a heat mode or in a cooling mode. With the VRFs, uh, heat pumps, or uh, they, they can simultaneously do the heating and cooling. And this is especially attractive to, to buildings like schools, lots of classrooms, hallways, cafeterias, big rooms, small rooms. Uh, you put these systems in and, you know, based on the, the sizing, uh, one outside unit could do up to 20 indoor units. Really? Hmm. So they're, they're remarkably flexible and can be designed for uh, specific buildings. And that's what's neat about them. And then that gives the, the user of the building local control of their, their temperature. And again, these, the ones that uh, we provide incentives for will be uh, the systems that can get you through the entire winter. Uh, they will go to minus 15 degrees as well. So uh, we, we've chosen to use uh, this federal funding to go after those types of uh, buildings uh, because the need is there and the technology works. Um, another part of that funding on, on this particular $15 million pot, that's what it is. It's a $15 million pot and we've divided it in three ways. The first way was the announcement with the schools. The, the second pathway that we're, we're deploying it will be with municipal buildings or local government. And again, we're going after those buildings that are on oil and propane and looking to get them into the heat pump technology. These are the town halls. These are the public works um, buildings. Uh, those are the, the types that uh, the public uses, sees, and uh, you know they have to fund uh, the utility bills through taxes. And uh, so we're taking part of that money to, to do those kind of buildings. And then the third uh, pathway is what we, we're calling uh, the, the group housing or uh, congregate housing uh, is a term that's used a lot. Um, and, and we're specifically focused on some, uh, an entity that was really shut down during COVID. And that was the long-term care facilities the nursing homes and the assisted living facilities. A lot of those are in many parts of, of uh, Northern Maine, Western Maine, uh, and on oil and propane. And believe it or not, these buildings have been around for a while and they have no air conditioning. Right. And that's the, the neat combination of, of the heat pump. We can now bring them a, a whole building uh, HVAC solution to them. Michael, to add something? Yeah, I just want to let listeners know that um, we will be 
issuing separate funding solicitations for each one of the three initiatives that Rick just listed off. So the one for schools was released a couple weeks ago with an announcement by the governor. The one for towns has not been released yet. And then the one for congregate housing will follow that in the fall. But all of that, all of those funding opportunity notices, which is the term we use, are listed on our website at efficiencymain.com. And you go into a, a, a section of the uh, website called About Us. And in there, you'll see something called federal funding. And that's where we list all of these opportunities. So if there's anybody listening out there that is involved with any of those kinds of customers, if you want to see the one that's available for schools now, you could go on our website and look it up at efficiencymade.com slash federal funding. And then the one for municipalities will follow uh, later in the summer. And then the one for congregate housing will be rolled out sometime in the fall. But people will have to respond specifically to some of the uh, particular criteria we're listing in those notices. And will those notices be mailed or emailed out to uh, all schools and all municipalities, that sort of thing? Yeah, we, we our our marketing campaign is is really going after for for the schools. We we've already sent out uh, information to school boards, uh, superintendents, and and those types of decision makers in the in the uh, school uh, districts. Um, with uh, municipalities, we'll be targeting the town manager and you know town councils and those things those entities. One thing I'd like the, the listeners to know that part and parcel with all, all of this, Efficiency Maine runs these programs for all commercial buildings. Um, we run these solutions for all, all commercial buildings. One other aspect that's available is what we call a virtual customer consultation. And that was rolled out um, not too long ago we became pretty savvy in, in using technology with the, you know, the shutdown uh, with the pandemic. And part of our uh, requirements is to do inspections of projects. So we, we learned how to do inspections remotely using smartphones and tablets and, and, and virtual conversations. And we thought, wow, it would be if we could engage with a building owner, a customer, a commercial customer, uh, the same way and have kind of a meeting in their boardroom through virtual uh, platforms. And, and we have an intake form that's on our website. And what that does is it allows us to get some of the information about your building and put together a, a uh, specialized or just a focused discussion on potential opportunities that are in your building. And, and what we can do is, is then line up the conversation to go out to the contractors. Hey, this is what we're interested in doing. Uh, can you help us? Uh, we're, we're also very, uh, as Michael said, it's always good to get more than one price and, and use more than one uh, contractor in giving those, uh, those prices. So we encourage going to bid for some of these bigger projects and, and incorporating language like, Use efficiency. You must provide efficiency main um, in incentive or rebates that are available as part of the quote, so that we're wrapped in 
and can get that customer the most efficient equipment right from the get-go. Yeah, that's that's a really important uh, thing to to do. So quick, uh, so, so quickly on VRF. I mean, I'd not heard of VRF until probably six months ago. Uh, it's it's basically a heat pump technology, but just it's uh, computer controlled or something, so that it can it can do two different both heating and cooling at the same time in different spaces. That's is that what you're saying, Rick? It, that's that's correct. It does, you know, the traditional line sets are not the same with VRS. They uh, the line sets are are they're they're all delivered into a branch box and then branched out to the to the different rooms in the building. So you don't have all of these line sets. Uh, I don't want to mislead anybody. There's not a lot of line sets that are coming from a unit outside to multiple places inside your building from the outside. These are very easy to install uh, if you have, you know, suspended ceilings at most commercial buildings and most schools and those kind of uh, facilities have. Um, the, the pipes are very small and uh, they branch out to multiple indoor units. Uh, just just yeah. so people are clear, this particular technology is not using ducts, right, Rick? It's, that's that's true. Although they can be ducted as well, you can get some uh, cassettes, just like the home. Yeah, uh, you can have cassette uh, units in the overhead. But I think uh, in some older buildings, especially where there's masonry, uh, it's a nice option to have that you don't need duct work uh, necessarily. There are places where duct work is a good fit, and and is the right thing to do. But th- the VRF technology can work without duct work in a lot of places. And that enables you to get into little nooks and crannies and get across the building without disrupting, you know, you don't have to rip open walls as much or uh, spend as much effort to, to do it. It can also, I think the, the heat pump technology can tap in to an existing ductwork system if that is what's already in place. That's another way to do it. So one of the things we're pretty excited about is is that the manufacturers uh, and mains contractors are figuring out a whole variety of ways to employ heat pumps to serve all the different kinds of buildings that we have and all the different kinds of needs that we have. And five years ago, you couldn't really do that. There was just kind of this one or two variations on, on what type of model you could get. But now we're seeing this proliferation of models and configurations and it's just exciting to think that we're going to be able to heat and cool most of our spaces in the future with heat pump technology and just just quickly i mean relative to ducts I mean, we're talking refrigerant lines with a, a half inch diameter line so it's a, a, a big deal relative to ducts so let's imagine that you're a, a, a building uh, committee dealing with a new school uh, how would you make the decision between an oil boiler and a vrf is, well, there any, is there any contest there? Not really. And not really when you, when you take, uh, I mean, it's, it's the same sort of conversation you have. Do I put a boiler in my home or do I go with heat pumps in my home when I build my new home? And the, and the price, the price differential is similar. Uh, there, there's a definite um, savings there because now you're, you're buying one system that will do both heating and cooling. Right. So, Commercial building, if you're going to put it, build a new building, you've got to have a heating system, and then you have to have a cooling system. Uh, this is ne- neat. It's, uh, you know, packaged all in one. So right. instead of a cooling tower and a boiler, you now have a couple of outside units with multiple indoor uh, units running your, your uh, HVAC needs. 
So, so one thing we've talked about on this program, and it's it's something that it's a bit of a bug that I, I uh, talk about. Uh, the average person, or even the average person responsible for a municipal building or for for a school, uh, has uh, talked to a has an oil boiler installed, uh, and if something goes wrong with it or they think it needs to be replaced, they call the oil dealer. How I mean, how can how can efficiency mean? I mean, you guys need a marketing campaign to point out to people that don't pick up the phone and call your oil boiler the minute, minute you have a problem because there are so many much cheaper, more climate-friendly options. So I'm, there, there's, my, there's my scold for you guys. You guys need to market this thing and, and get us out of that scenario where people just uh, do the same old, same old. Um, well, I, I want to be careful here. I, I don't think it's ro- appropriate. I, I'm not suggesting this is what you're saying, but I, it's certainly not appropriate for us to be beating up on any one particular uh, fuel type or group of, of vendors. Um, the oil dealers of Maine have provided an incredible service to all of us for a hundred years. And, uh, and, you know, we've heated our homes with that fuel for a good long time and it kept us comfortable. Um, I think we're in the midst of a transition and that transition is going to take you know, we've been at it for almost 10 years now. It's going to take more than another 10 years. The oil dealers will still have an important role to play in our state, delivering fuel and, and systems. But for all the reasons we've been talking about, it does seem to us like the future is moving away from that technology and to this new technology. Um, and what we see is that a lot of mains heat pump installers are oil dealers. They've diversified. They've added another um, trick to their bag of tricks. So they will sell you an oil system or they will sell you a heat pump system. That depends on what you what you ask for. Um, so they are part of the solution. And uh, we also need to be thinking about ways to make sure that they feel like they're part of the solution uh, because we want them to all continue to have successful small businesses and to have jobs and to be serving their local community the same way they have for decades now. So I think they have an important role that they can play here. They may have to get some training if they don't already have it. And that's why the trade association that serves all the main oil dealers, which is called the Maine Energy Marketers Association, MEMA, has got a training facility in Brunswick, that for a long time, and I, I haven't been there recently, but the last time I was there had an entire wall of heat pumps in which they used to train their members on how to install and maintain heat pumps. So I think they've also seen the same message, which is, you know, over the next couple of, over the next 10 to 20 years, people will be switching to this new technology. And if those guys want to be successful small business people, they're going to want to make sure they can provide that service too. Right. Well, very diplomatic, uh, Michael, and, and thank you for that. Again, my point was just uh, to to get people to think about when you suddenly have a problem with your oil boiler or you think it's too efficient, inefficient, you want to replace it, just to ask questions. Don't just call the oil boiler up and say, would you put in a new one? You know, ask some questions. So it, it's, to- it's totally human nature to stick with what you know. Exactly. And sure. um, that's true for all of us as homeowners and consumers, and it's true for most tradespeople um, if you ask them to fix the thing that's broken, they're going to look at what it is and they're going to go order the same part and 
try to fix the thing that was there. It's going to be the easiest thing to replace. And that's that you're, you're, you're right to put some of that on efficiency. mean, that really should be our job to get the word out to people that there are options, there are choices and they, and they should look at their choices and try to pick the one that's going to save them the most money. Right. And then I, I think what would be helpful, you know, for your listeners is if, if they, uh, you know, a commercial business owner, and their boiler system is is around 15 years old. Now's the time to start thinking about this. Uh, it's not when the boiler's broken, because when the boiler's broken, you got a problem and you got to fix it right away. But if your boiler is 15 years old, now's the time to start planning for the conversion to the heat pump technology. And uh, there's some, we've got to we've got to start with the the oldest boilers right now because they're going to go. Um, pretty soon, and we don't want to catch anybody out in the cold. So uh, that's that's just a you know kind of put that in your in uh, uh, up there and store it away and say okay, 15 years. Uh, I have to start thinking about what are my options going to be uh, so I don't run out of um, the heat that I need in the winter. Well, I'll tell you, Rick, what I've said numerous times on this show, and I think Rick uh, Michael has probably heard me say it as well. If somebody does have a 15 or 20 year old oil boiler, they should put heat pumps in, leave that oil boiler right there. And for the five days a year when it's too cold and they just need a little more heat, run the oil boiler then. And yeah, you won't pump, even need the boiler then. Let the heat uh, pump now. do the work the rest of the year. So um, that. But uh, yeah, that's right. We're not going to make somebody rip out their system just to put in a VRS system. Um, right. That's not what we're trying to do, but. What we're trying to do is be proactive and get people uh, to think about these things before it becomes an emergency. Right. Pools do not need to be shut down in the wintertime uh, because they, they, the boiler's broken. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so, all right. So back to uh, this American recovery plan things, we, we really only talked about number one right now. The number two, uh, which I was not aware of, uh, Michael, uh, is hospitals, uh, sorry, hospitality businesses and the like, I guess this is a tourism related thing to uh, to make their uh, buildings more efficient. Um, yeah, the the, the federal guidance on what the money was allowed to be used for was very clear that it wanted the top priority for the use of the funds to be for um, for businesses or homeowners who had been particularly impacted uh economically uh harmed by the interruptions of the pandemic and clearly tourism suffered uh from the the restrictions on travel and and meeting indoors and so uh we proposed as one of the uses of these funds that we would emphasize and focus on hospitality so we're looking at hotels and restaurants and and those kinds of places especially smaller ones uh to try and um give them some help to invest in energy efficiency that will lower their operating costs so they can be more profitable and get back on their feet and um so, so that's uh, uh that's another one of these funding opportunity notices that we're using the federal funds for. And we already launched this one. I think it was May 1st that Rick launched it. Um, and 
uh, Rick, is there anything more you want to say about? That? You want to give some more details on on who this is, who's eligible for this, and what yeah, kinds just, of equipment were they're eligible for? Yeah, a, a lot of all of this information is within the the funding opportunity notice, but it, we're we're clearly going after uh, you know the main, the small main uh, restaurants and hotels. Uh, where we are not targeting. Uh, the chains, the national chains like the Holiday Inns and the Marriotts with this. This is this is for the main uh, hotels and and uh, bed and breakfasts uh, and restaurants. We're we're not going to do national chains. We want to help uh, you know uh, the main restaurant industry. Uh, you know some chains are allowed, like Pat's Pizza. That's a main chain or Governors, uh, several uh, Governors locations. Those are fine. It's just the national change like Outback and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, what is it? The, the one where you can get a ribeye steak, uh, mm-hmm. Roadhouse or something like that. that, that uh, Texas perfect. Roadhouse. That, that sounds uh, perfect. Uh, so a r- real quick question. Another one of the items here under the American Recovery Plan is electric vehicle chargers. Are you allowing hospitality places to apply for EVs? I mean, it seems, it's always seemed to me that the place that uh, rarely has a, a charger, but ought to is a place where you go and sit for an hour. Yeah. So I have a two part answer to that, Steve. The short answer is yes, we will be funding um, hospitality locations for EV chargers, but it's a little, uh, the, the second part of my answer is that it won't be through that specific F, uh, funding opportunity notice that Rick was just describing. It's going to be through a separate one, which we have not launched yet. We're shooting for August or September. Okay. So um, I usually love it when we can provide one-stop shopping for a customer, but this is not going to be, unfortunately, one of those cases because we just weren't able to sync them up at the same time. But yes, we will be offering funding for uh, small businesses, including especially hospitality. And for the exact reason you said, they're a really logical choice. It's where people, uh, these are for the smaller chargers, not the what are called uh, direct current fast chargers or level three chargers that you see on the highway at the turnpike stops. These are the smaller ones you see at the municipal parking lot or municipal parking garage or in front of the library or in a small business. So these are level two chargers. They cost between 2000 and 10,000 bucks each. And so they're quite affordable. Um, But, you have to be parked there for a couple of hours uh, at least to get a, a, a significant charge. Um, and so if you're spending the night, it's the perfect situation uh, because you'll be there for 12 hours. And so when you wake up in the morning, your car will be fully charged. So we are going to focus on hospitality for that exact reason. All right. And the, the last item uh, that uh, we shared by email before uh, this morning was um, – I guess, again, coming out of the American Recovery Act money is uh, weatherization for low income, which has always been a tough nut to crack, as far as I know. How, how, what's your approach there? Well, um, the nut has not gotten any easier to crack, but we do have money now, which sure helps. Uh, we have $25 million from this American Recovery Plan funding uh, that was allocated to this purpose by the governor and approved by the legislature to help low and moderate income Mainers. 
So uh, we are marketing that uh, around the state. We are, are targeting folks who uh, can establish their eligibility, their income eligibility through a, a variety of ways. One way is if they're a recipient of LIHEAP, the Low Income Heating uh, Energy Assistance Program, if they receive fuel assistance through that. Also, if they are a participant in one of the Department of Health and Human Services programs uh, through means testing like SNAP or TANF or uh, Main Care, then they could also uh, uh, contact us, uh, indicate that this is something they want to be considered for and, and eligible for. We can validate their income status with DHHS, and then we'll send them a note back, and then they can use that to start to work with a contractor. The incentives are extremely generous, um, up to 90% of the project cost, up to $9,600. So the customer has to pay something. They got to put a little. Uh, they got to chip in a little bit, uh, but we we recognize that this is a way that um, low and moderate income Mainers can access this vitally important way to improve the comfort of their house. It's good for everyone's health. It keeps people healthier inside the house, and it means you don't have to buy as much energy to keep the house hot. Uh, I'm sorry, to keep the house warm. You don't you don't have to spend as much on whatever fuel you use, whether it's oil or propane or gas or or electricity or wood. Uh, you won't need as much as you have experienced in your own house, Steve. So we're really excited. We're, we're going to be able to continue offering this for four years using these funds. And so we'll be able to sustain a nice steady uh, level of activity and, and touch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes. I mean, is there, you mentioned the income eligibility. Uh, I mean, if somebody is, uh, I'll just wildly say, if somebody's too proud to apply for a SNAP or something like that, is there uh, a, uh, an income tax threshold? Uh, we have not established a way to do it through income tax. We have, however, an alternative way, which is if the home that you are in has the property assessed tax value that is below a certain threshold for your county, then that's another way that we can establish your eligibility. So if the combined value that's on the tax rolls in your town of the property plus the house is below our threshold for that county, and the, these are all listed on our website, um, and, and by the way, your contractor can look this up for you. If you don't know how to do it, your contractor should be able to help you figure it out. Um, that's another way that you can get access. Okay, and I just I didn't want to just clarify that one. So uh, just to remind everybody, you're listening for, to Power for the People here on WERU-FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. And my guests today are Michael Stoddard and Rick Meinking from Efficiency Maine, and we are talking about all sorts of different um, items relative to uh, the ability for towns or schools or homeowners to save money. Uh, and with that, uh, we're down to uh, only about four minutes. We've touched on on air source heat pumps, heat pumps a fair bit, but I would like to uh, to bring us back to uh, what uh, is actually at the, if you click on the efficiencymain.com website and go to at home, it pulls up a table of, uh, of options for you and lists various uh, rebates that could come back from Efficiency Maine. And I, I again, I just want to make sure that everybody's aware of that and then touch on some of the things here. 
so the very first one is air sealing, and uh, that has a little bit of a of a twist to it. Uh, so let's start with that one and then see how we can get down through the list a little bit. Well, Steve, I'm really glad that you uh, brought the conversation around to this point because Rick and I have spent the last better part of an hour talking to you about some very specific funding opportunities that have been made possible mostly by this new federal funding. And we're excited about that. And that's great. And the the groups of customers that we've been talking to you about, because of this federal funding, we're able to give them an extra rebate, an enhanced rebate, so more money than we would normally give. But the critical message I want to share with everybody is, even if you're not one of those customer groups that we've been talking about, you can still, we still have programs for the kinds of equipment you're interested in buying. That all the kinds of equipment we've been talking about, we have incentives for them. They may not be at this elevated promotional level that we're offering for certain customers thanks to this new federal money, but we still have something. So to your point that you've just brought us back to about home weatherization, there are lots of Maine homeowners who are not in the low and moderate income category and would not be eligible for that enhanced incentive I was just describing, but they are totally eligible for an air ceiling and they can get $500 off of that and they can go up to $5,000 to insulate the rest of their house. So that's a perfect example. There is something for all the customers there and all the different fuel types. Uh, So we definitely want to make sure people go to efficiencymain.com and go to that tab that's called at home and they'll see this whole listing that you have in front of you of different types of appliances or other steps they can take to lower their energy costs. And and am I correct? And and this is my recollection from when I bought my house seven years ago, that the the air ceiling is really kind of a, is kind of the entree to a number of different options within efficiency Maine, where somebody comes in and does an assessment, does some air ceiling, does a blower door test. And that kind of helps qualify you for things in going forward. Is that still reasonably accurate? It's accurate that it is an excellent first step. However, it is not a prerequisite to most other things that 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 we offer. So we, we've been moving away from prerequisites. We're trying to let the consumers, uh, for the most part, uh, find go straight to the thing that they're most motivated by, what they need to get addressed in their home first. The, the point you're making, I think, is that you can get an energy assessment. If you have a qualified contractor come to your home, uh, we used to refer to these as energy audits. Everyone's familiar with the energy audit. And um, and there's in the past been a lot of attention to starting with an energy audit and then you get sort of a report card on your house and you get some recommendations that are prioritized. You can still get that and you can help have some of it paid for with this incentive so long as you have them do some of the energy Uh, I'm sorry, the air sealing, which is caulking and spray foaming in the corners and some of that kind of thing. So that is still a great way to start and it will make for a very, uh, it it will help you organize your plans for how you want to tackle the house. On the other hand, if your old heating system is dead, you don't have to get an energy audit to figure that out. You can just call a contractor and replace your heating system. With an air source heat pump. Uh, that would be, you should go to the calculator tool and right. compare the cost to heat, and then you can make up your own mind. Right. 
All right, well, again, go to efficiencymain.com and click on the at home page. And again, it comes up with a, a really wonderful table. Uh, and there's a table, uh, and I forget where it is, but you can also get the comparative heating costs, which certainly makes a big difference. We're basically out of time, unfortunately, and there's always uh, more to talk about. And I will have uh, one or both of you on again, certainly uh, in the not too uh, distant future. But uh, you've been listening for to Power for the People here on WERU-FM. And my guests have been Michael Stoddard and Rick Meinking of Efficiency Maine, talking about the various roles that Efficiency Maine uh, is playing and uh, could play in your own future, be it whether you're a superintendent or a town official or uh, just want to in- increase the comfort level and the efficiency of, uh, of your own home. So uh, I urge anybody to check out the Efficiency Main webpage at efficiencymain.com. All sorts of great information there. Thanks so much, Michael and Rick. And uh, we will certainly see you again uh, on this program at some point. My name is Steve Kyle. Thanks for listening. And uh, the, tune in uh, next month for the next Power for the People. Thank you.